I think is that people get in relationships and they have this like high of love mm-hmm. <laughs> at the beginning mm-hmm. and then fear takes over all the limiting beliefs, all the past hurts. What happens is your mind starts projecting into the future. I might get hurt or it starts going into the past. And then all of a sudden you're not actually showing up with love. <laughs> This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 264 with guest Nicole Moore. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. I have another great conversation for you from love expert Nicole Moore. And I want to preface this by saying this episode is not just for singles. Nicole is a singles coach, but we definitely talk about love in general. So even if you're partnered up, I hope that you stick around to hear this amazing conversation that I have with her. And hey, if you have suggestions for guests that you want to hear on the podcast, if you have suggestions of topics that you want me to cover, because I plan in 2019 to do more solo episodes. I know a lot of you really loved the New Year, New You podcast episode from a few weeks ago, also known as You Don't Need No Stinkin' Morning Routine, (laughs) which actually stemmed from a few conversations that I had in my group program, The Mentorship, where people were on the struggle bus with their morning routines. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This needs to be a podcast episode. So it was definitely from from that amazing group of women. But if you have suggestions and you are a patron, don't forget that you can let me know. Also, if you have specific questions about stuff that's going on in your life in regards to personal development, then you can ask them and hopefully they will be featured here on the podcast. So head on over to patreon.com slash YKA. Of course, that link is in the show notes. And also, some going on over here. As you're receiving this podcast episode, I have just gotten back from a trip to Savannah, Georgia, my first time being there. It is the first of four weekends that I am attending. I joined a mastermind this year. I'm in a peer mastermind, but this particular mastermind ran by a colleague of mine, actually, Susan Hyatt. And I, I've i known Susan for a really long time. She has several years on me in terms of her coaching business. And I'll get into it more in a future episode because she's going to be a guest on here. She has a book coming out fairly soon now. But I am like, this is my own version of really leveling up and putting pedal to the metal, if you will. I'm always telling y'all that when you're ready, then you will actually do the work. And I've had coaches fairly regularly for the past many, many years, and it had kind of been a minute since I had had one. So I really invested money, time, energy, emotions. And y'all, okay, so it's a year long, right? And we just started and I was texting my friend, Sarah Dean. She's been here on the podcast and I was like, okay, we just barely started. And just based on our kickoff call, I already have diarrhea. (laughs) 
statue. Oh my God. Because it's like this particular mastermind is all about, okay, what are your goals? And then some, and that's really why I hired her. I think that you have to specifically look for the leader that you need. And I've been looking for this kind of mastermind for about 18 months. I interviewed two other women who were leading masterminds like this and they were great, but they weren't great for me. And I'm like, no, that's not, you're really great at doing that. But that's not what I need. I need this. And then I was like, uh, Susan Hyatt. And it was funny. I PM'd her on Instagram and I was like, uh, this might, might be like the very easiest sell that you have, but if you have a mastermind, I would like to join it. <laughs> Here's my credit card. Here's all my money. Here's an entire suitcase full of money so you can give me diarrhea. And it was like August of last year. And she's like, I'm thinking about putting one together. We won't start until January. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to need that much time to prepare myself. And I think I was the first person to sign up out of the 10 of us. But anyway, I will keep you posted on how it's going. And it really, truly is for me. I was ready. I was really, really ready. And, you know, speaking of, if you are too, I am gathering up the women for this next round of, I think I've pretty much settled on calling it the mentorship masterclass. And a few women have already signed up. You can go over to yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship And it is really about, again, women who are ready to do the work in terms of shame resilience. Are you ready to have better coping mechanisms than perfectionism, overachieving, isolating and hiding out, numbing out, the people pleasing, like all that crap that maybe worked for a little while that you're so used to doing, but in the end really kind of feels like shit. And if you want to learn how to live your life from a place of courage, from a place of what your specific values are, so you can be proud of the woman that you are, so you can have real confidence then head on over to that link, read all about it, fill out an application. And if it feels like a good fit, we can hop on the phone. It also includes a two-day workshop retreat here at my house, which I'm really excited about. I'm gonna have to kick my family out for a couple of days. I probably should tell my husband about that. You guys, I haven't even told him yet. He doesn't listen to this podcast, so it's fine. It's fine if it's a little bit of a secret. But if you're ready for that, I would love to chat with you about it. All right, so let's get into this conversation with Nicole. Let me tell you a little bit about her for those of you that might not know, Nicole Moore is a love coach who helps powerful, amazing women find their ideal partner. Using her signature Love Works method, she's helped hundreds of women find lasting love fast. Nicole has a coaching certification from New York University, and she's been featured in Forbes, Money Magazine, Inc.com, and TheGreatest.com. So without further ado, here is Nicole. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Super excited. I am so glad to talk to you. I know we had like some snafus with Skype and technology issues getting getting you here, but it is so good to talk to people about love and relationships because this is not my expertise. (laughs) I have lots of experience, but I love having people on to ask about these questions. And I'm always really curious, like start us from the beginning. What brought you to this work? Did you just like come out of the womb really interested in this or did, did you have a story attached to what brought you to this work? Tell us about that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, it's from the womb, but it's, I would say it came out really wounded in this. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, cutting a long story short, I was born three months premature. I'm a twin. And, um, you know, it's three pounds. And the doctor, this is in, I was born in 1984. So the doctor says to my mother, uh, don't get attached to these babies because they're going to die. 
Wow. What? So I I assume doctors don't do that anymore, but that's not some great bedside manner. Yeah. Yeah. And it created what I call a love crack, right? Like a moment where it's like, there should be all this love there, but instead there's pain, there's fear. And I really feel like, you know, that affected my mom on a very deep level. Uh And it created this fear of loss uh, to the point where, you know, both my parents, they never said, I love you to me. I mean, the first time I told my mom, I love you, I was like 26 and she couldn't even say it back. It was like choking, even though she loves us dearly. So my whole life, um, for a very long time was a reflection. It felt like lack of love. I grew up thinking, literally having this conversation with myself as a little kid, you know, my parents just don't love me. There must be something wrong with me. Like, aren't they supposed to love you? <laughs> so um, obviously that that wound in me created all kinds of drama and trauma in my love life. And I was kind of searching, searching, searching. And it felt like this void within me. Like I could never get enough love. I could never get enough approval. I had horrible self-esteem. And eventually I just kind of got sick of that. And I said, I need to figure out how to make this work. Like Because the area that was the worst for me was also the area I had the highest desire. I really wanted to have deep mm-hmm. love and partnership in a healthy way. So Long story short, I mean, I started doing personal development, you know, when I was 23, I was kind of seeped in it. I decided to become a love coach, a a life coach, then a love coach when I realized this was really my area of expertise. And I've been studying really this thing. How do you make love work? Because it's the one area where, you know, I think most people have a lot of challenges and we feel like we're just supposed to know how do you make love work. Yeah. But teaches it. And that became my mission. So I was kind of born into the world of lack of love. And now I feel like I live in the world of abundance of love. And it's really cool to have had experience on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. Well, I feel like I want to dive into the deep end from the beginning because here's what the problem that I hear pretty regularly from some of my clients and women in my programs who have really struggled in relationships. And we talk a lot about worthiness over here. And what I see happen is in the the problem, I don't want to say it's the problem. The the challenge with with worthiness work is that it's it's sort of this ongoing thing that it's not a one and done type of exercise. You know, we we work on it our whole lives. But mm-hmm. what I see happen is especially women who are you know, well into their thirties or forties and they're single and they're, they're trying to find the one they're stuck in that story of feeling like there's something inherently wrong with them. Like why, what is wrong with me? Why haven't I been picked yet? So is there something specific that you like to do with those particular clients who are sort of stuck in that story as an exercise to, um, sort of get them out of that and rewrite their story? Yeah. So I believe that it all does start in your childhood. It starts with, you know, the inner little girl inside. And so, you know, what I tell women like that is this, listen, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're powerful, obviously, right? There are all these amazing things about you. So why aren't you finding the person? It's because what I believe is, you know, we get stuck in those moments, whatever your inner little girl believes love is, whatever she got. Cause you have to remember as a child, your parents, whatever, or caretakers, whatever love they're giving to you, that's what you think it is. That's how you learned to love. That's it. That's it. That's, and, and the problem is as a kid, we don't understand we can get it from different sources, right? It's like, we kind of got to take what they're giving. And unfortunately for a lot of people, it's not enough. And so in love life in particular, we get stuck with that model of the world. So whatever the little girl believes love is, that is what people create in their life over and over and over again until 
they have the awareness to shift it. So I take clients to, you know, I call it love crack moments, but it's, you know, those moments that you remember as a child. Like I have one where I remember, remember being like a five-year-old and I'm on the bed crying, my hands over my ears and my parents are having this huge knockdown, drag down fight, screaming and I'm scared. Mm-hmm. We all have those moments where there is a high intensity of emotion and it was too much pain or strong emotion for us to take in that moment. So we decided certain things to make it better, right? Like it must be because I'm the problem. There must be something wrong with me. I must have to win love. I'll be perfect, whatever it is. And we got to go back to those moments and actually see the situation differently. So I do this exercise with my clients where I have them look at those love crack moments. I have them uh, envision what the scene would have been like if the people in the scene were filled up with love, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, my five-year-old self, if my parents were filled up with love, they wouldn't have been fighting or they might've even been attentive to like, wow, you know, my daughter's upset. Let me care for her. So I have them go back to that moment. I have them kind of, I call it like restoring the scene to what it would have been like if love was present. Then the important thing is you have to open up your heart to receive the love that you should have had. Yeah. So you have to go back and you feel it and you let it in. And what happens is the inner little girl herself starts to change. She starts to feel a reality is different. It's only when she feels that something can be different for her that your love life actually shifts on the outside. Yes. Yeah. I I agree that it's, it's so much of it is connected to our childhood traumas and experiences and how we learn to love what was modeled for us. And it's very, very multi-layered. And do you feel like uh, I get a, a decent amount of people in my community, women who are disconnected from their bodies, how much of the work that you do or that you have seen be helpful for women in this area is somatic, like how there, how there needs to be some kind of mind body connection. Yeah, absolutely. I think it all has to do with the emotions at the end of the day. Yeah, <laughs> for emotions sure. Emotions are body. So my theory is, and I just, I, I figured it out in my own life and then I saw it with clients. When we have a lot of emotional pain from our childhood, we don't want to deal with the pain and we have to escape somewhere. So we go into our heads and that's when you get the women who are so overly analytical about their love lives, right? Yeah, like yeah. sending the text to their girlfriends. What did he mean by, Hey, question mark. And like obsessing, 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 thinking we can figure it out in our mind. And so all of my work uh, with the women that I work with is let's go to the emotions. Let's go into your body. Let's actually just let those feelings go now in a healthy way. And when you do that, you can actually land in your body. And that's so important because how do we receive anything in our life, right? It's Mm -hmm. not the mind. It's when you're centered in your body. So I absolutely agree. All the over analyzing women who are trying to control their love lives with their mind, I would look at are there some feelings that you decided you couldn't feel in the past that you're strong enough to actually feel now? Yeah. And that's the way to let the love in. Yes. I'm a huge fan of, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of emotions. I, mean, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But I personally, I've done a lot of work in my own life on that particular topic because I was exactly what you described. I, What was modeled for me was you just pretty much 
just let's just focus on happiness. Like, let's just be happy. If you have any other emotions, we're not going to talk about those. Um, you know, go do those on your own in private. And then when you're done, you can come back and join us. And so I learned to stuff and I learned to have an outward appearance of being extraordinarily strong and then was praised for it, which I'm sure you see a lot. And then, it, you know, kind of all fell apart and then all simultaneously blew up in my face. But for me, I got sober in 2011. And so that was really when the covers got ripped off. And I was like, okay, I have no other means of escaping. I have got to actually deal with this. And and what you were pointing to is it's self-trust. It's knowing that you're going to be okay if you walk into this what what I make up is like this inferno of emotions. Mm-hmm. I call it the same thing. I tell my clients, like we got to stand in the fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You learn, you let it burn through. You feel like you're going to die. I remember one time I was walking around New York city. I was doing this healing work and I had had this lover and then he, like, I felt abandoned by him. Right. But it was this beautiful opportunity where I said, I, I'm just going to actually feel the feeling of abandonment. And I swear, I felt like I was walking around New York City with a burning heart for two months. Like, oh I guess I just had a lot of packed up emotions. But it was the first time in my life where I just was like, I can have these emotions. I can still live my life. I can let people in. I can show them what's happening but I can move through this and I can heal this. And it felt like a burning fire. But looking back, it's one of the best things I did for me personally in my love life because I could have never attracted in the love I have now if I was still holding on to that wound yeah. of being a dead. You needed to burn it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what I, what I, I feel like, and I, you know, I wrote this in, in my book and my second book, just about one of the perspectives that helped me a lot in learning how to trust myself in terms of my own emotions was that what if I looked at my emotions, my emotions as just messages and it's just my body's way of taking care of itself. Like what if I trusted my body enough that it knows what to do? You know, I trusted my body enough mostly to be able to birth babies on its own, to mm-hmm. be sick when it was sick, to sneeze and, and you know, do all of these things that it needs to do to expel things and to take things in and all and everything. Like what if emotions were the same thing? Mm-hmm. I don't think that we would, we would fear them as much. They might be yeah. inconvenient and extraordinarily uncomfortable, but they're not, I think that we make up that they like, like you were saying, like they might kill us. I think we really yeah. fear that. Yeah. And I think it again, goes back to a kid. I mean, you have kids, so you know, I see, I have a two-year-old son, Luke, and when he feels, even if it's happiness, sometimes it seems like he's just shaking, like what the emotions bigger than his body. Oh, there's just no holding back. Yeah. Yeah. So they're big, but I, I think, you know, they're, they're gold. I think if you're willing to dive deep, if you're willing to feel the fire, if you're willing to go into the lower emotions, as we might label them, mm-hmm. that is your ability to slingshot into the higher. I don't think you can feel all the bliss and the excitement and the true, you know, happiness without having felt all of the other feelings too. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Well, what do you think, what do you think stops most people from finding the right romantic partner for them? Mm, Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of things, (laughs) but I think, okay. So obviously the worthiness is an, is an issue at the end of the day, at least most of the women that I work with, they have a picture in their head of the kind of man that they want to be with. And they've put him on a pedestal (laughs) and projected that he's like, or women. We have some listeners who, who aren't heterosexual. So partner everyone, right? Everyone. I think it goes, I, I think it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. I've, I've certainly, I have clients who want to find a woman or, you know, all, all in between, but, um, putting a person on projecting an idea of this perfect romantic partner and putting them on a pedestal, then deciding you're not worthy of them. Right. So you can never attract in that person in the first place. But then I also think this idea that I think the, 
actually, the longer a person has been single, the danger is there's this projection of this perfect person that's going to save them from all of those years of singledom. And I find that it's like there is that person doesn't exist. I think that you can find somebody who's perfect for you. But I think a lot of people, especially in these days, I called it like build a partner, like build a bear. Uh They want the perfect person so that they actually never have to feel any emotion, right? It's like, if I find the perfect person, I'm never going to ever feel disappointment or hurt or sad or anything at all. And it's not true. So what I'm a big fan of is saying, can you find the person who's a match for you? Can you find the person that, you know, you're you're still going to, you can find the perfect partner in the world. You might still feel disappointed. Like they could do something and you get triggered and they're not really hurting you. Right. But you still disappointed. But can you find that person where you feel aligned, where you have the same vision for life, where you feel like, I really like this person deep down, just love. That's what's important. And I think too many people are looking from their ego, their fear mind of, I have to pick this perfect person. So I never have to feel any negative emotion again. And it's happily Mm -hmm. ever after. Oh God. I doubt that I'm worthy for it. You know, fairy tales just ruined it for us, didn't they? Yeah, and movies. You know, movies I can tell romantic movies I watch, like men or women, like 10 Things I Hate About You, for example. The message is what? You act like a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> and then some magical man is going to say, oh, I love you anyway. Like, that's not how it works in reality. Romantic comedies. You know, it's, it's interesting. My, my, I think I don't, my daughter wasn't really into it, but I was watching Cinderella. It had to have been a few years ago, like the old version of Cinderella, the original Disney movie. And at first time I'm like, I'm like eye rolling, like, Oh my God, this is so terrible. And then at the end, guess who ends up crying? me mm-hmm. because it's just so romantic. Like, Oh my God, they're dancing and they're like staring into each other's eyes. And I'm like, God damn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is something really beautiful about it, but I, I do, I think we can get caught up in it. And, and okay. So here's a question that I get a lot, you know, for my people who either are single or are attached, I think where people sometimes get confused is, you know, they can buy into what you just said. Like, okay, of course we're not supposed to find that perfect person. And we need to find the person that's perfect for us. But where do you, do you, do you have any kind of guidelines for what is sort of crossing the line between when you're, when you're just settling? Do you know what I mean? Like what, what is the, where do we know? That's what I think a lot of people want to know. Like, where do I, how do I know if I have settled in a relationship? Yeah. So I think, um, you, well, you got to look at your fo- focus. So I mean, I, you got to look at what are the most important qualities, right? So that's like the non-negotiables. Then I recommend like, what's, I call it your focus word, but what's like the number one thing that without this, the the relationship isn't workable. So for me, when I was searching, I thought I need a man who's centered. That's the most important thing. To me, that meant he has to be able to look within, face whatever fear is going on and still choose love, still choose the relationship without Mm -hmm. me having to do it for him, right? So I was looking with that criteria. So I had my list of all the qualities that I want. And what I recommend you do is you write your, I call it your, I deserve and expect list. That's everything you deserve and expect. Go like, go buck wild, right? Yeah. But then you want to look at what I did was I highlighted which qualities am I not embodying? So I did the work to feel like I was a match for that kind of person. So the way I say it is this, uh, it's important. If you're, if you're bringing it, you can ask for it. If you're bringing it, you can ask for it. Just think of it that way, right? It's not a problem to want a lot of things in a romantic partner if it's coming from a grounded place. So it's a difference between 
I want somebody who's like, I want, I want a partner who's really wealthy, right? But why? Is it because you doubt your ability to generate your own financial abundance and you're coming from a needy place? That to me would be a fear-based quality. Mm -hmm. Or is it because you're like, you know what? I have a certain lifestyle. I have a certain vision. I feel like I'm an abundant thinker. It doesn't not necessarily the money in the bank, right? I'm bringing this quality of abundance and I'd like somebody who matches that. So I want everybody to look, look for that. All of your qualities, fine, you can have them, but are you bringing it internally? Are you being the match for it? Because that's when you're going to feel worthy. So I recommend you have all your qualities, you write your I deserve and expect list, but then you focus on what are those inner qualities that without this, the relationship would be unworkable and focus on bringing somebody who has that. Because at the end of the day, you really need a good person, you know, to mm-hmm. make work long term. You don't need a checklist of what your ego mind, your fear-based mind thinks you need in order to look good or be validated. You need somebody who's really great on the inside. Yeah. Well, what what, what came up for me when you were talking about that is, and I think this is more or less what you were saying in the beginning, is that if you are asking, whether it's a list or you're like legitimately asking the universe or God for these qualities in a partner are you working on the same things yourself? So you can't expect to have a partner who's totally great with their, they've worked out any kind of like sexual hangups that, that, that they might have. And you can't expect to have that if you're not willing to work on it yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. Yeah. And the thing is, even if you did attract it in, you wouldn't be able to receive it. (laughs) You'd be freaking out. You'd be sabotaging. So that's the important thing is, it's really because you can have anything you want as long as you feel worthy of it. And for most people, they've got to be bringing that quality within themselves to feel worthy of it. So that's like the hack. It's like you bring it and then you feel like, okay, I can ask for it. It's like people who are on time all the time. They're like, yeah, people should be on time for me, (laughs) right? They're bringing it. So they feel worthy of asking for that back. What does, I know you talk about being love. So what does that mean? And what does that have to do with making a relationship work? My theory is the reason that most relationships don't work is because fear, fear takes over. Fear has a million different manifestations, but it basically is the thought that, you know, other people are against you. Other people could hurt you. There's something to protect yourself from that. If you, you know, become in union with someone, you're going to lose somehow. So what I think is that people get in relationships and they have this like high of love mm-hmm. <laughs> at the beginning mm-hmm. and then fear takes over all the limiting beliefs, all the, um, past hurts. What happens is your mind starts projecting into the future. I might get hurt or it starts going into the past. And then all of a sudden you're not actually showing up with love. So to me, being love is really looking at in a relationship, what am I doing on my side of the street? Uh, you know, I follow A Course in Miracles and I, I love it. I couldn't I tell it. at all. <laughs> and, uh, and, no, I love it. You know, what they say is to have give. And this doesn't mean be like an overgiving martyr. What it means is... If you're in a relationship with someone, what I believe is if you're in a relationship with someone, what you want to be looking at before, are they giving me every single thing that I need in my checklist? Like, I'm not talking about being with an abuser or anything like that. Like, you should leave if you're in that relationship. I'm talking about a healthy person. Instead of, are they giving me every single thing that I need? Why not look at 
What does this person need in order to feel loved, respected, appreciated, adored, all of that? And who can I be to give that to them? Because what happens then is you're in the energy of I'm abundant within love. If you can give it to someone else, you're automatically feeling abundant. You feel filled up. Mm -hmm. You feel like the loving presence in the relationship. And that absolutely has an effect. So it looks like thinking before you speak, what's the intent of this communication? If I'm asking someone something in a, in a relationship, is it really love? Is the intent of my communication union or am I demanding or controlling, right? Look at what the intent is. It looks in your actions. Are you assuming you know, that someone's attacking you, that someone's not getting you, or you looking for their perspective, their side of the street. So it really is a commitment to love. That's what a relationship is, right? At the end of the day, it's a commitment to being the loving party in the relationship, Mm -hmm. inspiring Mm -hmm. the other person to open up their love. And from there, you can have a really great relationship. If you're in total fear and your partner's in total fear and you're against each other, I mean, you probably know because you've experienced this or most people have, it doesn't matter how much you like each other in the beginning of the relationship. It's not going to work. I don't mean to be cynical, Nicole, but I feel like that is a tall freaking order. you just described. And I'm so curious, like, what does that look like? Cause I'm thinking while you were saying that I was thinking about the last argument I had with my husband and it's kind of like the same thing we go in a circle around and it's not even anything like relationship threatening. It's just like these minor irritations we have with each other. And, and I am, and I'm thinking about that argument and I'm like, was that out of, and of course I can only determine where it was coming from, from my end. I don't know his, but I'm thinking like, did that come from a place of love or did it come from a place of fear? And of course it's like, it comes from a place of fear that he doesn't understand me. So then I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know, trying to think about this and of course listen to you at the same time. So that's about as far as I got with that thought process. So what do you like, can you tell us, like, can you give us a real life example of what that looks like in your own relationship? Yeah. I mean, we can even use your example, right? So what I would say is, okay, what couples have to remember when they're in a disagreement is, um, we both want the same thing. We both want the same thing. So if usually this is my theory, whatever complaints we have about other people or fears we have, like, I'm afraid they're going to do this to me. They're doing this to me. We're usually inadvertently doing that to them. Always. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. In that situation, he doesn't understand me. So what I would tell you to do is, okay, like, um, you know, don't deny that, right? Give voice to that. Why do I think he doesn't understand me? But then I would look at, okay, is that actually true? Are there other instances where I feel he has understood me? Is there something within my communication that's getting in the way of him understanding me? And what do we both want, right? And so I would communicate with him. I would say, I could be wrong, but I feel like in this situation, you're misunderstanding what I'm trying to communicate. And it's really important to me that you hear this because what I want to feel is what I'd love to see happen is. Mm -hmm. So is it okay if I repeat this again? Because a lot of times I get it. And in communication, like, you know, a lot of times people feel like you're communicating, but the other person isn't getting you. Yeah. So I would- well, that's exactly what happened. That's ex- And I, I, to my credit, I said that towards the end of the conversation, I said, I feel like you, I feel like I'm validating what you're saying, even though I might not be able to give you what exactly it is that you need. We need to compromise, but you're not understanding what I'm saying. And again, I don't expect him to give me what I want. It would be amazing if he did. I'm just saying, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't expect that, but I didn't feel like, and I'm making it up. 
but I'm pretty sure, I mean, we've been married for 10 years. I'm pretty sure he wasn't actually hearing me. And I think that that, if I can dig deeper into that, that is like my own deep fear of not being seen as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, and this is what happens in partnerships. It's, it's coming from your inner pattern, but it's also, he could also be doing it at the same time, right? Which is where it gets really confusing. So what I would say is, you you know, you go back to that part of you that's feeling misunderstood. You, you give it love, you give it what it needs. You fill yourself up with that feeling. Then you communicate with him, right? And then you're not needing it, but you're requesting it. And I think your partner should be open to what you want Mm -hmm. and need in order to be happy in a relationship. But a lot of times when we come with this charged energy, right? Of it's like, you're not giving it to me in this situation, but I haven't gotten it for my whole life. (laughs) Oh my God. And then it becomes like this jockeying of like, who has it worse? Like yeah. who's the bigger victim in this conversation? <laughs> and then you're just getting nowhere. Yeah. Oh God, that's exhausting. Yeah. So it's slowing down. It's getting that if you're in a disagreement with your partner or whoever it is, the ego mind, the fear mind will tell you winning is proving them wrong. Right. Yeah. But then they feel bad. It, like it's crazy what our mind does. It's like, let's make them feel horrible that they've mm-hmm. done something horrible to me. And that's going to get them to change. Right. We, and it's not actually yeah. <laughs> going to get them to change. So it's slowing down getting that you're on the same side. Like uh, for couples, I like to imagine you're not facing each other, yelling at each other. You're on the same side. You both want the same thing. So can you slow it down and get that you're just both afraid? You're just Mm -hmm. both saying, I'm afraid I'm not going to get what I want. And if you can come together and see the oneness, it can dissipate a lot of that fear and charge, and then you can actually communicate. Yes. Yes to all of that. And if if I may add, I think some of it comes down to just communication 101. And what I have found helpful in my experience of being married, not once, everybody, but twice, <laughs> and this one being the longer of the marriages, is that it it can be helpful to actually spell out what you want what exactly it is that, that you're looking for. So like, I, I can't expect my husband to communicate with me in a way and and him to just read my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, no, or, you know, like I need you to go read all six of these communication books and then figure it out on your own. Like, it's way easier for me to just be like, here's what I would love for you to say in these moments. Mm-hmm. And I'm beyond the point of my life. Like in my twenties, I used to be like, but I want you to just be organic about it. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God, I, I'm not, I can't do that anymore. It's just not fair. And so I'm really clear, like in these moments, I need you when I say my part, I want you to pause and I want you to say, Okay. I, I hear what you're saying. And then you can even like repeat it back to me. And, and it's like, I, I feel like, I mean, don't you agree that sometimes we just need to say what we need and what we want? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just did this with my my husband. He's been going through a severe challenge with, you know, oral pain. And so he's been, you know, he's been doing everything he can for me and my son, Luke. But what was slipping a little bit was the romance, right? The little things for me. And I just communicated to him. First, I appreciated him. I'm so honored and thankful yes, and grateful start that you're gratitude. so here for us, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like there's this one piece that, you know, I used to love, I used to love the feeling of X, Y, Z when you would do that and we would have the romance and I'd love for that to come back. You know, it would be possible for you to do little surprises for me or send me little flowers. And I just, I, I spelled it out for him. Did I feel amazing when he started giving me all of these gifts and taking me out to dinner? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't matter that... 
I had to bring it up with him. What I think is important is if you have a partner who, when you do bring it up and you do ask for it, they can hear you and they can do their best to give it to you. And I love that you were specific because I think sometimes we just expect them to know what we're talking about when we say, I need you to be more romantic or I need you to, I need you to actually hear me. What the fuck does that mean? You know, like some people, like, <laughs> yeah. that could be interpreted 10 different ways. And then if they get it wrong, we get mad. I just, I feel like it can go sideways really fast yeah. and the more specific, the better. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, I, I want to ask you one more question and cause I know that you help women with not just love, but with confidence, which I think goes hand in hand, those two topics. So what's the number one thing anyone listening can do to instantly feel more confident? Yeah. Okay. So here's a little quick exercise that I recommend that I find is super helpful. So whether you're a man or a woman, imagine you're on a game show. Okay. Then there's, you're behind, there's three doors and you're behind one door and there's this handsome bachelor or a beautiful bachelorette right there. And, um, they can't see you and you have to write five words on the door to describe who you are, why you're amazing, why that person should pick you. What are those five words? And then once you write down those five words, what you want to think about is if a person is in a relationship with someone who doesn't have this, let's say one of your words is sexy, sensual, right? If a person's in a relationship with somebody who doesn't have this quality, would it be a great relationship? And you're going to see no. And then you're going to go, wait a minute, this is pretty cool. I'm bringing sensuality to a relationship. So um, anybody could do this exercise, write down your five qualities. And then the important question is, if somebody's in a relationship with somebody who doesn't have these, are they going to have a great relationship? And all of a sudden you're going to be like, I'm bringing some amazingness to the table. And it's also important to think about the mix of those five qualities. Like if I were to do that, I'd probably say, you know, loving, powerful, sexy, and, you know, caring, whatever other words, but it's pretty cool to have all of those in one person. And so you're going to see your five qualities. You're going to see the unique mix of how they come together and you're going to start to feel instantly more confident. I love that. Thank you for giving us that little tool. That's so great. Well, tell everyone where they can find out more about you. Everyone can go to a loveworksmethod.com. That's my website. And there's tons of love life information on there. Loveworksmethod.com. Everybody go there. The link will also be in the show notes as always. Nicole, thank you so much for, for being here today. I so appreciate your time. Yeah. Awesome. Everyone listening, thank you again so much for being here and joining me every week with my guests. And sometimes I am just solo, but obviously today with the guest, I appreciate your time so much. I know how valuable it is and I never, ever take it for granted. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, everyone, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 